Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And our guest today is all about doing just that. Francine Falk Allen is one of our own A Boomer, yet Francine has an added aspect to her life, and it's one that many in our generation can relate to. Francine contracted polio at the age of three, but not letting this often debilitating condition slow her down, Francine is a multi-talented artist, a world traveler, and an author. She joins us today to share all about her latest book, No Spring Chicken, Stories and Advice from a Wild Handicapper on Aging and Disability. I am so excited to have her as our guest, so welcome, Francine. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen. Well, and I have to say, at the onset, No Spring Chicken, best title ever. I love it. But let's begin by you telling us a little bit about your personal background and how you've led such an amazing life despite having to manage those long-term effects of polio. Gosh, I hardly know where to start. I I was in the hospital for six months at age three. They said that I would never walk again, and then um, with physical therapy, I was able to walk around with brace uh, with a brace and crutches and then after a while I didn't have to use those now of course as we age most polio survivors eventually need to use some kind of assistive devices later in life and and um this is true for a lot of people anyway so it's it's something that you know we've gotten used to i um originally hoped to be an artist, but I found that I hadn't realized how competitive a field that is, and I eventually got a BA in accounting and started my own tax and bookkeeping service, and that was useful to me in that if I needed to take a nap in the afternoon, since it was my own business, I could go out to the car and sleep for 20 minutes because fatigue has always been an issue for me. But it is true, I have traveled the world. I started doing that when I was in my 30s, and then um, meeting up with my my uh, boyfriend, who became my fiance, and then my husband, um, he had the money to do more extensive travel. <laughs> so he would take me on business trips, and I, I have been many places, and I discovered a lot of of what it takes to travel when you do have a disability. I have a mostly paralyzed leg, and um, I had to learn not to be proud about using wheelchairs and scooters and all that sort of thing so I could conserve my energy. And that's, you know, one aspect of my life. I also have sung with a lot of groups. I particularly love music. And and uh, then I decided to write these two books. I, the, my first book was not a poster child. It was about growing up with a disability and navigating the world as a handicapped woman or disabled woman. Most of the disability community prefers that we don't use the word handicap, but I don't really mind it because I think it um, it connotes uh, needing a little extra help but not being fully incapacitated. So that's why I use it. But I respect that that a lot of the disability community prefers a person with a disability to handicapped. And then I wrote No Spring Chicken because I felt like I had learned a lot about how to deal with aging and how to deal with a disability. And there are a lot of tips in here for family members and and how to uh, relate with people in your lives that are becoming a little less able physically and um, how to take care of yourself if you have uh, uh, 
lesser capacity than you used to. I have the uh, yoga exercises I do, which are very simple, and the pool exercises I do, and there's a, a whole section about how to deal with doctors. So it's really a potpourri of of real experiential advice about aging. <laughs> Well, and yeah, and I thought too. I mean, real practical advice. I I I was very happy to have a copy and and get a chance to look at it because uh, it can be very very helpful. And it's you know a great resource too for for those of us who are boomers and definitely on the feisty side of fifty at this point. But I do, if you don't mind, uh, want to go back a little bit because you uh, you have been you know drawn to the arts. You've been a painter, a songwriter, and an avid gardener. But what was there some kind of a spark that led you to want to write a memoir, uh, not a poster child, or what? What led you to want to do that? Was there you know an epiphany? Well, it wasn't it wasn't actually an epiphany. It was that I sold my uh, business, and I had time. I always liked to write, and I would write little stories. And people used to say, "Oh, you should write a book." I thought, "What would I write a book about?" Well. I decided to write an essay about my uh, experience of polio and all those early years because I can remember back to when I was, gosh, about two, two and a half years old. And I realized that's somewhat unusual, and I thought I was in my 60s and that there might be a time when I couldn't remember all those details. So I decided to just write an essay about it. Well, that was four chapters. So I thought, my gosh, I have a book here, and I think I'll just keep going and talk about what it's like to grow up disabled. And then when I finished that, I realized that there was a lot of material I had about travel and and exercise and a lot of stuff that wasn't really appropriate for a memoir. So I went on and wrote the second book. So I, I really do like to write and found that you know the first book, got some awards so i think that it probably is is a talent that it just came late in life for me well you're being very modest because it certainly got some awards and one of them that particularly impressed me was kirkus reviews best books of 2018 that is a pretty big one i know you got another one uh so i mean you obviously are quite talented uh and I wanted to mention, too, that one of the reviewers, I saw this on your website about this latest book, uh, which, uh, again, and I just want to stress the subtitle because I think it's so great, Stories and Advice from a Wild Handicapper on Aging and Disability. But the reviewer put down, pull on your travel pants and let Francine take you on a globe-trotting tour of her favorite destinations and the best ways to navigate them, especially with a handicap and or aging issues. So, uh, again, you gave us a brief overview, uh, but I know that a lot of us are having cabin fever and traveling is big on our list. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be heading out to the national parks in a week or so. So what is just some of your advice for navigating uh, around those that, that, you know, with those of us uh, who do have either disability or aging issues? Well, the most important thing is to do some research. Um, we're not in the category that gets to just uh, wing it and uh, get on the road and see if you can find a hotel, and if you don't, then you just camp out or something. You know? yeah. um, when, when you are 
choosing a location, you first want to make sure that it's a place that you can deal with. Now, uh, people who have canes or have to use walking sticks may not be as happy in a place that has a lot of stairs and hills. So if if that's going to be the case, then you may be uh, sitting in a nice place reading a book while everybody else is running up and down the stairs. I'm thinking of someplace like Positano, Italy, and there are places in San Francisco where um, it would be difficult to do a lot of walking, but there's a lot to see there. So you can go to a museum and spend the day, and they have uh, wheelchairs for rent. But when I when I traveled, what, the first thing I started doing um, many years ago, probably 15 or 20 years ago, I'm 73 now, and uh, when I realized that fatigue was becoming an issue for me, I started getting a wheelchair at the airport, and it's something that you usually reserve when you uh, – get your flight handled. And uh, another thing I do is um, I check with the hotels that we stay in to make sure that there's an elevator because most places are two-story. There are some motels tend to be one-story, but there are so many places that are two-story. And I don't want to have to be going up and down stairs carrying my crutch in one hand and holding on to the hand wheel with the other just to get to my room. It's okay to have to do that once in a while. but uh, And I always ask for a room that's not all the way down the hall because then I may not have to use my scooter just to go have breakfast. And um, I ask to be placed close to the elevator. And I call the day before we arrive and make sure that's going to happen and tell them that I have a disability, and sometimes I'll arrive and they won't have honored what I've asked for, and I usually ask for a room upgrade if they don't do that because they're supposed to honor, in the United States, they're supposed to honor requests from people with disabilities. And um, some people need to ask for an ADA room, which has a roll-in shower. A person who has a walker would probably want a roll-in shower. For me, that doesn't work well. I always make sure they don't give me an ADA room, but that also leaves it open for someone else. And um, I, I always check into what there is to do in the area, make sure that there's a place to eat either on site or close by so that you don't have to go three blocks just to have a meal. For some people, that would be a very short walk, but for a person who has walking difficulty, that's a little unrealistic just to go and have your breakfast or your your lunch or something. So, so um, And I really encourage people to rent scooters when they arrive at a destination. I have found that going to big resorts... Um, is fun when you don't have to walk uh, half a mile just to get from one side to the other. So um, the, most places will deliver a scooter to the location. And uh, these are things that just make it easier when you get there, and then you can have a good time. So planning is really important, I find. Wow, Francine. I mean, talk about practical, solid advice. These are all things that you have learned from your own experience, but those of us who may not have had that experience uh, can really benefit from these kinds of tips in this book. And I will share with you, too, I uh, I recently uh, moved and I put all sorts of stress on my back and ended up with a major case of sciatica and was on a walker for about 
two months. So again, I don't want to relate in any way to you know things that you've experienced. But boy, it was an eye opener for me to uh, need to get around with a walker and some of the challenges. So your advice is really great. Uh, I do want to, I guess, lighten or deepen the mood. I don't know, but I did hear that you had an encounter with a bear. Uh, again, I'm going to a national park. I don't want to repeat your experience, but I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> well, I don't know how much time we have, but I was, um, we used to camp in housekeeping camp at Yosemite, and um, we started going to the lodge instead, and we would go over to the housekeeping camp where our friends were staying to have dinner with them every night and to spend uh, time in the daytime as well. So I would rent a scooter at the lodge and go the mile or two that it was over over to housekeeping camp, spend the afternoon, and then go back to the lodge with, and sort of goes through a path through the woods. And um, uh, then we'd bring the car over for the evening because I didn't want to use the scooter at night. And um, so on my way back this one particular time, I noticed that they had installed a um, a bear statue on one side of the uh, pathway about 20 feet off the path. And I thought, well, that's unusual that they would put that big bear there. And then the bear moved its head. <laughs> so I, I was staring at a great big bear, and it had a green collar on it. So I knew, knew that the park service, you know, knew about it and everything. But... Um, but uh, I was having on ta- eye contact with it, and I'm moving my head, and he's moving his head watching me, and then he took oh, one step oh, forward, and I thought, <gasps> oh, my gosh, this is the worst thing. You're not supposed to have eye contact with the, with the wild animal. So I turn up <sighs> the speed on the scooter. goes about six miles an hour, and the bear would be able to go much faster. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do if he follows me? Well, I'll beat my horn, but it sounds like a clown's horn. You know, it's not very scary, oh. but they hate noise. I thought, oh, I'll throw my backpack at him because that's the only thing he'd be interested in because bears know that backpacks often have food in them. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's got my laptop in it. <laughs> you know, I had all my oh writing on my it. Oh, my he didn't follow me. He wasn't interested. He probably thought it was really weird that I was on the scooter to begin with. I wasn't on foot, so I was just lucky. My heart rate went up, you know, but I was I didn't even have time to get really scared because it was, you know, I just had to get out of there as fast as I could. So. <laughs> but the thing is, I, you know, I was careful not to be out that late after that because it was dusk, and that's the time they start yeah. coming around the campsites to see if anybody's left any food out. So oh. after that, I made sure to go back to the lodge before sunset. So, <laughs> But it was, oh, you know, crazy. it was... <laughs> it was exciting and there was a good story around the campfire that night yeah i'd say it was exciting i don't know i think i would have not only would my heart rate have gone up but i might have had a heart attack as that yowza that's that's not an, an encounter that i'm like i say i'm hoping to emulate so thanks for sharing but thanks and no thanks and actually i have some more time if you do i know we said about 15 minutes but if you have another few minutes i do have a couple more questions Sure, yeah. Great. Well, I know uh, there are special uh, issues with traveling abroad. And, of course, when you go to Europe, and I know you've been to Europe a number of times, but, you know, there are things like you go to these beautiful towns, but, of course, they have cobblestones and, you know, difficult areas to navigate. What are some of your tips for travel abroad? 
I find that larger cities are easier uh, rather than uh, going to small towns because small towns do tend to have more cobblestones and less uh, ramps for getting in and out of places. They're not quite as uh, built up and accommodating, although even in Europe, here in the United States, we have the Americans for Disabilities Act. So a right. lot of ramps have been put in and a lot of elevators, and there are lots of places that have a little sign at the entrance that says, this way to the disability entrance. That's unusual in Europe, but it is improving gradually. I noticed when we were in Paris the last time, which was a long time, it was probably six years ago, we haven't really traveled much in the last few years, um, that every store had a little ramp to get in and it was very steep so you would have had to have somebody push you if you were in a wheelchair but it was there i mean they were trying to deal with it and when we were in edinburgh um that was a little more recently that was probably four or five years ago um there were ramps getting up to the sidewalks because a lot of the sidewalks have very high curbs and um so the ramps were a little steep but i could get at them if i got a running start and so I do find that the cities are, are more accommodating in Europe. And um, and again, um, if you stay at a bed and breakfast, you're probably going to be navigating a lot of stairs. So if that's not a problem, you know, if you're quite fit, then that's okay. But I always check to see that there's an elevator. And sometimes, even when there's an elevator, you end up using the stairs because the elevators don't always work. So if you're on the seventh floor, which we were one time when the elevator wasn't working, you know, <laughs> that's something oh, that you really have to think about. <laughs> oh, but, my gosh. But that's that's my, my main recommendation is to go to cities. And that's where a lot of the museums and, and galleries and big parks and music and concerts, that's where a lot of that is anyway. So, And a medium-sized town will have accommodation also. So those are just things to consider. And right now, um, Europe's not exactly welcome, welcoming us with open arms. They they are only taking people that are vaccinated, which is a good thing, I think. And there are some countries, Italy, Greece, and I think Poland and one other, maybe Croatia or someplace, um, they're not requiring people to be vaccinated. But if that's the way it is, then you're going to run into a lot of people that potentially have COVID or have been exposed to it. So yeah. so it's something to you know consider. Uh, when we're Looking at travel in the United States right now, we're checking to see if places um, have a high vaccination rate and a low incidence of COVID. And national parks are a good option because you're going to be outdoors a lot of the times. Right. Oh, Francine, uh, this has just been so helpful, and what a delight to get to speak with you. Uh, before we have to leave, I know you have a wonderful website. I've been there myself. So please let our listeners know where they can go to find out more about you and, of course, buy your fabulous books. My website is FrancineFalkAllen.com, and that's I'll spell it F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-F as in Frank, A-L-K-A-L-L-E-N.com. And um, I have a blog site there. I, I write about different things that come up for me and sometimes book excerpts. And both of the books are available there. They uh, There are links that take you to um, uh, 
IndieBound.org, which uh, allows you to buy um, books from um, local booksellers of your choice, and then, of course, to Amazon and Barnes & Noble. So, yeah, it's very accommodating, and it's kind of a fun site, actually. It's a very fun site, and it's beautiful, too. I, I really enjoyed spending some time there. Uh, but before we have to go, do you have any final thoughts you might like to leave with our listeners about, you know, kind of embracing life, as I always like to say, despite aging or other circumstances? Well, my attitude is always to keep looking out the window and finding new things to do and finding ways to deal with each thing that comes up so that you can enjoy your life as long as possible. There's always going to be bad stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but you just have to keep looking for the little things that make life really wonderful. I mean, when we travel, we're not expecting huge experiences a lot of times we'll just take a book and sit in a park somewhere and sometimes there'll be some music so there are always things that that are are worth looking forward to the other thing oh, that i would is... like to say is if people if people could do a review of the book if they like it if they do a, a good rating or a review that really helps sales for a person who's a you know lesser known author such as myself that's true for all of us little guys well, in my mind, you are no little guy, Francine. This has really been a delight. And thank you so much, I mean, for sharing your time and these the valuable information, great information, and your enthusiasm for travel. And it doesn't, I mean, we can still do it. Look out the window, like you said, no matter our age or circumstances. Well, it's been wonderful talking with you. I really appreciate the opportunity. I hope that everybody enjoyed it. I'm sure they did, uh, and I urge all of you listeners out there, remember to check out Francine's website, francinefalk-allen.com, and make sure to look at both her books, both of her books, as well as her, she's got blogs, she's got photographs, she has personal stories. It's really a delight to go there. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.